Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 91 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Episode 91, we welcome writer Leslie Simon. Leslie worked for Alternative Press for years, and you probably know her for the books Everybody Hurts and Wish You Were Here. She also has a book called Geek Girls Unite. Check that out. She's a veteran in the scene, knows everything about emo, and hung with every band we know and love. Leslie essentially talks me off the ledge for the episode, which is fantastic. She's a great therapist. Uh, and a great person that loves this music as much as you and I. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to support, you can do so by supporting our Patreon, buy merch at our Threadless store, or leave a nice review on iTunes. And hit me up anytime at admin at washedupemo.com. This is episode 91 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with writer Leslie Simon. I've been waiting for my invitation for years. So I'm glad that I forced myself into your your world again i'm like when am i gonna be on the podcast but i feel like i haven't made it and unless i'm washed up and i haven't washed up yet so the last probably big show and by big it's a relative term but probably the last show that meant the most to me was seeing motion city on their last tour that was that was hard i didn't want to i don't want to say goodbye to them I have a feeling they're going to be back, Leslie. Let's just be honest. Everybody's just given five years, and I mean, it's all for someone. I get why they're not doing it. You know, like, I get it. It's a hard, if you don't make a certain amount and you don't reach a certain level, this isn't a sustainable lifestyle if you want to actually have a life. No. There's no way to, to be on the road and to be a fully functioning member of society. You're either part of a circus or you're part of the normies that like go to work and have a gym membership and shop at Whole Foods and, you know, eventually meet someone you can mildly tolerate and pop out a embryo or I don't know what people do, but uh, it's hard to do that and maintain and keep it all together when you're, touring for you know eight months out of the year so i get it and those guys have kept it together a really long time and i wish that they had gotten bigger in that they could have sustained this longer because they'd be playing bigger rooms and they'd be paying more or playing more fans but 
I mean, in the room when they were playing, everybody knew every single word and they were going crazy. And it was, it was like a weird family reunion of cousins and step sisters and niece. I don't know, like people you didn't even know you knew, but you all had this one thing in common and it sounded so good. And seeing Tony play with them again, it's, that's the motion city. I remember and Justin sounds awesome. Like he's just so on top of it and clean and, they just look happy. It's been a really long time since they've looked happy on stage, and now they're done. <laughs> but I guess if they're going to, you know, like if you're going to do one last last loop, like you should be happy. And they look like they were really enjoying themselves, which then made everyone happy. But I don't, I feel like they kept producing good music, which I think is what's rarer if that's a word more rare rarer rarer more rare let's it's hard to, let's just say more rare because i sound like <laughs> a weird speech impediment um that's really the thing is that, like it's hard to, when you have such a high quality output to continuously put out high quality work is impossible like i don't i can't think of it really any band that just across the board you're like every record is a classic every record is the best it's like no not every record is the best sometimes the first record is the best and everything else is a piece of poo but they do it and they do it because they play the songs that everyone loves from the records that they've you know discovered the band through but I don't know I mean can you think of like, do you have favorites that you're like, they just, no matter when they put out a record, I'm going to, I'm going to get it and I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to see them. Like, has your list dwindled from being, you know, like pages oh, totally. long to like half a page? <laughs> oh yeah. Maritime. I'll do anything that Maritime does. Jimmy Eat World. I will all, I will pray at the altar of Jim Atkins and, mm-hmm. and company forever. Uh, mm-hmm. Who else? I mean, I'll always support the Get Up Kids, even though that last one was a stinker. Um, what else? Elliot, but those guys won't come back. Oh, Appleseed Cast, I will. I will do anything yeah. when they do stuff. Um, well, those. I think those were probably the biggest ones. Yeah, and those are, and some of those guys are still super tiny. Like they, you know what I mean? Like Appleseed Cast, still never. That's a very specific. Uh, sect, I would say. Yes. Of emo, right? Like that, Elliot, like that's all kind of like part of this, what, underground Lawrence, uh, Deep Elm, is that it? Like, Well, Elliot was Revelation, but yeah, Appleseed Cast was definitely the Deep Elm kind of world, but then they sort of were... I just feel like if they were on a different label, they would have had a different life. Like they would have had the life of explosions in the sky or they would have had the life of like another band on sub pop and we would still love them as emo kids liking them. But for some reason they got stuck with us and now they're, you know, reserved. (laughs) I think they were too hard. Yeah. They were too hard to find. They were just too hard to find. Yeah. And that's unfortunate with a lot of like, no, even like like labels like polyvinyl and stuff. Like if you didn't have a gateway into those smaller labels, you were unless someone took one of those bands on tour, you were done. Like you were never gonna get 
to know those bands until they were already broken up and you would never see them again. Okay, so here's the question. Like, so 10 years ago, this was what was everywhere, right? Like, when people did watch videos on other platforms besides the YouTube. Yep. (laughs) But, okay, so let's say that they hung around for two years or so, two or three years. If Let's even be generous and say that from, like, 2006 to 2010, they were, like, hot topic obsessed, right? Mm -hmm. 2010 to 2016, like, what have they been doing? Where have they been? Who have they been listening to? Did they go to One Direction? Did they go to Mumford & Sons? Did they go, like, where did they go? Who, like, so that where they came back, you know what I mean? Like, who kind of... I think because the Mumford and Sons um, is a fantastic one. Any of those hay bands yeah. with the, I mean, Chris, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris Carrava even tried it. He tried it. Twin Forks, you know, Chris tried oh, that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I guess I'm not like disagreeing. Agreeing. I just try to be like, what happened in that moment where, you know, Matt and Chris were getting mad and I'm like, what do you expect? The fan, the wow. fan, you People guys got terrible. big, you guys got big and at a certain point, I mean, the last Jimmy World show, I had one of the worst times because I had never How seen. How big was that show? It How was, big was that show? It was in Port Chester, New York, and it was like the theater. So I, it was like the whatever. Like 3,000 no, people? No, probably two at the most, 18 to two. Okay. So, but again, I, I sort of had to. to stop and be like they got really big that's why they're still around they can still afford to play it's okay that they do this but it was like it was i i knew that going in and i think they were at even a bigger level than a dashboard or a you know taking back sunday but there's i mean those types of bands and i it's just to me saying when the bands are upset about what's happening or you know, or how people are reacting, then that's what was, that's what you guys were sort of getting into. That's what those bands were getting into when you got that big, when that vagrant across America tour happened, that wasn't Uh, just the scene. (laughs) That was, yeah. I mean, I think it's hard because the, the whole, like the underground became the mainstream as it so often does because that's, what trends are right. And they come in waves and they're all cyclical and everything is exactly the same as it ever was. And it's an exact mirroring of like the blow, you know, the bloated arena rock from the 1980s goes into the hair metal, which goes into the Nirvana, which goes into the pop music, which goes into the emo, which goes into the hair metal of emo, which goes, you know, like it's all the exact same, like, uh, what is this Burning Brides for Seven Brothers whatever that band is with the makeup and the, the, the Boo Scary or like oh wait who's Black, the terrible Blackville Brides Blackville Brides there's the who are the terrible like like uh, like Jeremy Dahmer Blood on the Dance Floor okay Blood on the Dance Floor do you remember that unfortunately yes band? okay Broken that side. is the epitome yeah that is like the epitome of like winger meat Cinderella meets like the most fourth rate Motley Crue cover band on the planet. Right. But you still have these people who can't tell the difference between like good and passing off as good. And I think that's where emo 
got to because you've got you had like the foundation, the core bands. You had the bands that inspired other bands that got huge, but they never got huge. They just were the bands that inspired everybody to get huge. Then you got the bands that got huge and they didn't know what to do because they didn't think it was possible because the bands they looked up to never got huge. Then you had the bands that capitalized because they went into it getting, knowing they were going to get huge, right? You've got like, here's the lineage. You've got like a Thursday. Jeff Rickley, God, God love them, right? Like that band got big subjectively speaking, like Mm -hmm. they could, as they got as big as they could, but then you have my chemical romance. They go stratospheric at the time. Then you have someone like all time low. They're not getting into it because they love music. They're getting into it because they want money and chicks, which is makes total sense when you're a dude and you grow up in the suburbs and you have nothing else to be upset about. That's what you want. Go for it. And those guys are still making a living off of, Neon getting tank tops. Yeah, exactly. Like they're spinning records from a iPod playlist and making ten thousand dollar appearances at clubs in Vegas and making a nice living for themselves. But the ones after them, that's when they start it's like all the copycats where they all look the same, they all sound the same, they all found that like the hook that sounds like every other hook that traces back to a Paramore song that you're like, well, this sounded really great when Paramore did it. So I'm just going to be the third to seventh, you know, stem of the original and people will like it because it's proven to be life. And then the scene dies because there's nothing real in it anymore. It's just artificial sweetener versions of what originally started as something really special and amazing and treasured, you know? So why, why then, if the emo revival came, 2009, 2010, the amazing Philly scene, there's there's amazing music going on, even, you know, in 2016, there's amazing bands that I'm finding out about that I, in 2010, I didn't think it was possible. And it was almost like these bands had sort of jumped over that time period that you're talking about and found that there was stuff before. Why then is the word still, even today, on BuzzFeed? And actually, there's another thing yeah. on con- Consequence of Sound. BuzzFeed posted a photo. Emo kids um, uh, uh, dress up their parents in, in like, or, or, or uh, do makeup for their parents. Like, that was yeah. the video. So why then, still to this day, it's connected to the all-time low my chem and not anything else. And that is, is it because of where it hit in the mainstream and stayed there? Well, you know, Thursday and Thrice and Promise Ring and Sunny Day Real Estate, you know, like they're always going to be bands, bands because they're not completely accessible. Like you can't really hum a Thrice song. You know, like, you have to try really hard. And Promise Ring was, you know, when they got their most melodic, everyone hated them. <laughs> so people wanted, like, atonal, like, post-hardcore, like, guys with emotion, but no melody. And once you got the second generation of bands coming in, realizing that you can be emotional and melodic, 
oh, there's an idea. Like, of course that's going to be more connectable because that's more mainstream. Why do, uh, you know, like, gosh, why do trends, some trends connect to mainstream and some trends don't? It's because they're more accessible just by the sheer nature of what they are. And I think we hit the kind of like tipping point where emo was something that made you unique. And then it tipped ever so slightly into the cartoonish. And that's when it stopped being cool. You know, like once emo is a commodity, it stopped being something that people were proud of. It was something that, Oh, well, we never called ourselves emo. Oh, we would never be emo. Oh, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> you knew you were emo, and it wasn't a bad word. Just like saying you were punk. It was just a way to categorize, because at the time, no one else knew what to call it. Like, melodic punk music? That sounds terrible. Like, who wants to listen to melodic punk music? Like, <laughs> you need... It's, brand, it's fucking branding, people. Well, like, it, this isn't rocket science. Well, what's even funnier you know? now is the emo nights. The proliferation so in the last two yeah. years has been exactly what you talked about with the all-time low, and then everyone was like, oh, wait a minute. Now we can – and the thing is, again, the word is taken, yet they're playing some 41, or they're playing Justin Bieber, or they're playing um, you know, these things yeah. that don't connect. And I'm like, all right, so you're using the word again, yet – you have no idea well, yeah. to do. Do you have no idea what's connected to that word yet? You're using it again. With all due why? Respect, though, how are you going to dance to Fugazi? Like, how are you going to dance to? I mean, Jawbreaker maybe, but a lot of for a lot of people, this scene is not about lineage. I'm not it's saying about... you have to play Fugazi. I'm saying you have to. Pl- if you're going to call it emo, like, don't play Third well, Eye Blind. Bieber, I feel like. No, oh, well, here's how you get the third eye blind connection is, didn't, who was it that, like, loved Stephen Jenkins for, like, five seconds? There was someone, some silly person in some band that I can't remember that was on Warped Tour. Maybe it was someone from, like, early November. Someone, like, random started talking about how awesome Stephen Jenkins was. Because I remember when I was at AP, and us doing this sort of, like, hero, like, feature where we would get an older musician and a younger musician. I think it was called, like, Idol Worship or something. And I wonder who that there was. Stephen Jenkins was in, in it, and whoever the guy was that really wanted to talk to him, maybe it was, like, that weirdo from the Ataris or, like, someone completely off the map today. But at the time, it was like, oh, let's, this guy likes like so third eye blind this was an influence oh that third eye blind is emo just because you listen to something doesn't make it emo as an influence right like it has to have the, the lineage a little bit and i do agree with you i mean i've only been to the emo night in la i've been twice it was indescribable for all of the amazing and disgusting reasons that you can imagine but I I was asked to DJ and I DJed once and I set specifications on my playlist. It was like I can't play anything before 
this period of time and I'm not going to play anything after like 2007 because to me, emo doesn't really exist. I mean, if we want to get like super like philosophical about it, I just don't feel like after 2009, 2010, like it's just a non-conversation. And I started thinking, I was like, wow, I'm playing all these songs that I love, but they're really, they can be really obscure to the average like hot topic kid who went in to get their, you know, like Nightmare Before Christmas t-shirt and whatever Gerard Way magazine cover was on the stands, right? Like, and that's okay for that kid. That was awesome. And that got them through high school or what, whatever it was. And my God, Godspeed. I support your choices. I hope you're in a great place and you found people who are just like you in your town. But why does but, that, why, why does that guy in that band get to dictate what the word means or taking it for that night. Cause I understand if you're going to like play, like I get what they're doing and I get, I get what a lot of them are doing, but there's why does that get to determine what it is? And well, is it? Is, yeah, no, I get to where, okay. So, so I had my playlist, right. And I, they put me on the patio. I was not in the big room. You know what? I was happy to be there. I really was because I was just, I thought of it as like, I'm going to play all the songs that I love from back in the day for me and the two people I told that I was doing this. And I want to see what, it was almost like a social experiment. Like I want to see what happens when I play these songs versus when I play those songs. Like, so I played opening set. I mean, as I should, I haven't DJed in many moons and no one knows who the fuck I am. Like I'm not from whatever black, Veil for Brothers. I don't. I'm not in that scene. Like I got out of AP when Cobra Starship came in. <laughs> I. No one knows who I am as far as like these kids that are standing outside for like three hours to come in. And I start playing like curses, and I'm thinking like, yeah, they're like they're gonna start getting really pumped to get in emo night because I'm playing curses and it's ugly organ and there's a cello. <laughs> it's like nothing from these kids. And then I'm like, mm, okay, I'm going to shift my focus. Let's see. And I put on yellow card Ocean Avenue, which I stand by as a solid choice. It is a crowd pleaser, but it was a visible difference. Like people were like not their heads. Like you could tell they were getting dope to get into the Echoplex. And then I would go into like Jawbreaker. And again, it'd be like cricket. Like tumbleweeds. Well, it's also and then what, would, what what bands continue on? Like what bands transition? Right. Like what's that? Your older brother always gave you no effects. Your older brother gave right. you Alkaline Trio. Whatever those ones were, Jawbreaker didn't yeah. transcend because again, it wasn't on TV. Bands weren't referencing it. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, and I think it's also the the region, right? Like back east and not that LA didn't have its own, but like that's such a Mecca, right? Like we grew up in the center of a lot of it. And if it wasn't happening around us, we were clued in pretty soon thereafter. And we got ourselves there, right? Like we got to Chicago, we got to Philadelphia, we got to Maxwell's in Jersey. Like you could go see the bands forming before your eyes. I don't know if the same could be said, out here or, you know, just from sheer accessibility. Like if you live in Odessa, Texas, like that's not, you don't have that scene. It's rodeo clowns and like kid competitions. And I can say that with 
all certainty because I went to Odessa, Texas with my chemical romance and we played a rodeo. Like it was a rodeo. And to those kids that were there, this was, you know, gosh, this was culture. This was possibility. This was everything for someone that hot topic was the coolest place for 250 miles. I mean, again, when you come from New York or Boston or like LA, you know, that sounds really foreign, like hot topic that taught you about music, but yeah, a lot of kids in the Midwest, like that was their lifeline to the outside world because maybe they didn't have MTV, but they would see all these kids that didn't look like everyone else and they didn't look like everyone else. So they were like, Okay, these are my people. Why wasn't and, it called why wasn't it called Goth then? I mean, I grew up in a small town of like five thousand people. My city did not have a hot topic. I didn't have mm-hmm. t- MTV forever. And I, I didn't even have yeah. Fox. I didn't even have the Fox network. There was no affiliate. Uh like I was definitely but I got into independent music because that's what was happening around me. And I think maybe right. why why did that why was it not goth? Why do why was the it's almost like the goth culture intersected into emo and then just stayed. Yeah. I think it did. I think that there are also parts of goth that didn't translate because stereotypically, I don't know if, I mean, goth today, and it's a look, right? Like there's, I think a lot, it's a look, you know, goth when you see it. I don't know if everyone, aside from, like, The Cure and Depeche Mode, if you really goth, like, what are their bands to the outside, like, that next rung outside? Like, what goth bands could you name? Psych Furs? Yeah, that's pushing it. But I, you know what I mean? Like, to yeah. the bystander goth person? I know what you mean. That's, that's tricky. There, like, there's no My Chem level bands or, like, what's the all-time low goth band? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there are that many circles to the ring and it's a more contained scene. It's also got a lot of like, I think they won't let it get too big. It just, it's self-sustaining. It doesn't want mainstream. Like I said, like the cure and Depeche Mode are probably the biggest goth bands that will ever be. And, maybe Morrissey to an extent the Smiths can be traded in and out depending on how you look at it. But I think there's a lot of like, to your point, there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of like moodiness and woe is meanness and sadness, but there lacks the color aspect of it. I think that emo is so colorful just by its sheer nature and the characters that are in it. Goth, to me is very black and white and gray. There's so, not a lot of color. What be, I mean, and it also kind of goes back to the book that you did with Trevor Kelly, everybody hurts, um, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because I could see reading it back today. I perused it the oh. other day. I could really? see you sort of straddling <laughs> between we need to appease anyone that's watching yeah. MTV, but also throw in a promise ring reference for anyone that's reading it. I could tell you were going back and forth between 
you had to include those because yes, it was part of it. Yes, it's part of the Trevor. Trevor always tells me yes, it's part of the history. But my thing and reason is like it's 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 okay that it's in there as a as a piece of it. But for some yeah. reason, two thousand four to two thousand seven is still with us. Yeah, I mean, it was such a special. Let's let's not use the word time. special. Let's not use the word special, please. Wow. Okay. I I look on it very fondly, and I I loved. It's it's weird because I. I'm just I'm back. just I'm I just never, I'm just messing. No, that's okay. I mean, I I don't want to. I I probably sound like a stiff bitty who like you know those like pompous talking heads that they roll out when some celebrity dies. Like that's not the type of person that I am or that I want to be portrayed as, but I can't help but be a little, um, my heart, my cold black heart has a slight twinge of warmness because I feel really lucky that I experienced the things that I did in real time. And just as, I wasn't able to, you know, I never saw Guns N' Roses when they were popular. I never got to see Nirvana. You know, there's always the generation you never got to see or the bands you wish you had seen, but they didn't make it for one reason or another. And I feel really lucky that, like, I got to see all these bands when they were coming up and they were playing matinees and they they were nice. I got to see them when they were nice. Some of them stayed nice. Some of them stayed not so nice. And, you know, to see where people scatter after the not-so-niceness, you can turn sour really fast on the whole thing. But I think when we were writing the book, Trevor was definitely the more historical foundation for the scene, and I was definitely the more, like, forward-facing mainstream like bubblegum side of it Mm -hmm. because he had he had been in it and I had joined it right when I had gotten out of college so I sort of like came in late but I fell all the way to the bottom of the pool whereas he always just was like he never let himself go all the way down you know like he still was able to like maintain some kind of like indie cred I never had any indie cred like I just was I was all in Right. Like I was all in and that was fine with me because I loved what I was writing about so much. And we were such ticks. Like we thought we were so smart. I mean, I think that if I didn't read a review or if like someone didn't call my voice snarky, I would be offended. I'd be like, well, this is snark. I own this snark. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah so much harder to write nice than it is to write mean it's mm-hmm. so easy to be mean and that book is fucking mean but it comes from a good place because it i think it was the point to know that we could laugh at ourselves for being ridiculous but it we were all ridiculous like the, the dude who thinks that you know that he saw uh, you know i took a class from the lead singer of Jawbreaker at an upper preparatory, you know, preparatory school in New York. Like I'm the coolest. No, no, no. You're not the coolest because I 
you know, it's like one-upsmanship. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all not cool. <laughs> Let's just face it. Well, no it's, one it's is interesting. cool here. Anyone in, anyone in your book... So let's say if it's or anyone in music in general, not necessarily the book, and mm-hmm. no one wanted to be associated with it. You know, I mean, oh my god, you couldn't be caught dead. I mean, with, people like, wouldn't take my call yeah. seven years ago. They sort of took For my sure. call five years ago, and they sort of started talking about it. Certain bands, I'm still going after and trying to convince to talk, and they won't. And who would you have you talked about who won't do it? Yes, I have. There's one artist that will never do it. They've told me directly because of the name. Uh, okay. Um, All right. And uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say it. Jeremy Enig. He said he will not do it. Um, oh, man. He's which so is, cranky. Which is, like, get, which, get a grip, dude. So here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Well, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – since you were, you were in it and you have this, like, affinity yeah. – I look. I had fun. I was working at Equal Vision at the time. I had Circus Survive and Chiodos headlining Warp Tour. Yep. Armor for Sleep selling oh, man. out. Chiodos, like crazy. I, I was in it. Like I get it. But the thing was, if you're talking about these bands and everybody wants to run away from it, and he, still to this day, no one likes the fucking word. They 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 cringe when I call. Yeah. What or when I'm like, if there's a new band and I sort of talk about it, like there's some level of people not stoked. Why then the only era and the only emo nights that want to like take on that name and make it commercial were those third, you know, sort of after all time low type bands. If it's Broken Side or those, those guys were like, yeah, we're emo. Okay. And then it's emo nights. Because they're making money off of it. They're, it's a commodity. It's a brand. So like when you were is- doing it, you weren't doing it because it was it, – it, look, let's uh, – I, I'm asking I was you so seriously too. I'm at, like I, I seriously want to know your opinion. Too. Yeah, it's an enterprise. It's a Kickstarter. It's a Snapchat. Like it's not. You're. They're not. I think they're doing it because they love it. But there's also the matter of like, oh, I can do it because I love it, and I can make money, and then I don't have to do something else that I maybe don't love to make money. That's a head scratching great idea. And look, if if you could just, I mean, maybe but it's not only you in particular. For that era. It's only for that. It only works but that because that was the it, best era. No, that was that not was the best. best era. It was not. It was. It was by best. I mean, most accessible, mainstream. Okay. That connected to the most amount. That era is the era that encompassed everything. You had something for everyone. It was the. It was the Whole Foods of punk rock. You want a little hip hop? We got your gym class heroes. You want a little screamo? We got your Chiotos. You want a little girl angst? We got your Paramore. You want a little goth? We got your My Chem. You want a little like bro down frat rock? We got your Fallout Boy. Like we got you covered. This is your specialty one stop shop for for everything your musical heart desires. We even got your little desk cap for cuties. You really don't want to stick your toe in, but you want to feel like you kind of know what the kids are talking about. Like we got you, and that that was the goal. That was the glory days because you also had. So that's like when Warp was at its best, and it was multi generational. You know, it's like why do people watch Modern Family? Because there's a storyline for every fucking generation. Why did people go to Warped Tour? Because there was a music for every fucking generation. You had your Bad Religion, 
then you had your main stage fallout boy and then you had your fucking girls garage in the parking lot like for the newbies coming in you have something for everybody and i think where emo fell apart is that either people didn't want what was there anymore or people didn't want to give what like there was some disconnect right like it either was just genuine, I think, on the band's part or on the fans' part. And I think it probably is a fine line somewhere between the two. But there was, there didn't seem to be, other than like having your own record label or having your own clothing line, right? Like there wasn't this like empire mentality that I feel like has, it's like, this isn't Shark Tank, right? Like there was no Shark Tank in 2006. Nobody was thinking about the bigger, better deal other than what was right in front of them and maybe, like, getting the next rung. They weren't looking at skipping, like, ten rungs to get to, like, a million dollars, you know? Like, there were steps. And that's where I think it even ties back to what you're saying about, like, concert etiquette. Like, you knew you had to kind of go here in order to make nice with the elders. And then once you got the stamp of approval by the elders, they introduced you to the cool kids. And then the cool kids introduced you to the bubblegum. You know, like, it's it was a process. But if you don't have to go through all that rigmarole and you can just go right to your, to your source, which is sort of what the emo nights, the mass-produced emo nights are doing, it's going, it's like direct to consumer, right? Like, you don't have to think about it. It's the Bravo Marathon of Shaw's of Sunset. Set it, forget it. It'll entertain you until you just drool yourself to sleep. Which makes me and happy to know because those shows will all those, those shows will end up being canceled, and this will run out of steam. I think I th- I think it's I think it's fleeting. Um, there's a few, I mean I think it's fleeting, a, but as long as Blink One Eighty Two puts records out, I think, you know, as long as people are interested in that thing, again, I think it's cyclical. Right, but it's such a good catch-all phrase. Pop punk is, is still an arm, right? Like, hardcore is an arm. Screamo is an arm. In the same way that punk rock, in a way, like or indie rock, these real big buckets. Like, emo became a really big bucket. And it could be associated with a lot of different types of things. You know, with a couple more adjectives to it, you could get... Mm-hmm. the more specific but it was such a great it's a it's a word picture you know it, it's such a visual experience you know you you're not emo and you don't like when i when you say emo you have a visual regardless of whether it's the same as john down the street or m- me or jeremy enick like you have a visual some people fight it because they think that you know they're they don't want to be that visual or they think it's a bad visual, but for some people it's not, you know, like you embrace it. It's, I think it's definitely a nostalgia thing now, which is weird because it's not that long ago that it happened. No. And it, when my chem broke up and when AFI never went anywhere and when fallout boy became Pete went and like, when all of these things sort of happened within the same, you know, year or two, I think the scene lost 
scheme because no one could keep it together. And no one, no one was a good example. I mean, Blink fell apart. They were, even though they weren't emo, I think what Mark Hoppus did for, and just like as role models, that was what people aspired to or Weezer, right? Like you want Rivers Cuomo to be your role model? Like, all right. What was interesting is Patrick Stump had like a solo tour with one of the artists I was working. No one could give two shits. No, two shits. And that record was really good. I liked his record. It actually wasn't that bad. But again, no one cared. No one cared. No one cared. Why? And no one cared what black, remember black cards? No one cared about that. No one cared about Andy's. Drugs? Hardcore band. Oh, yeah. No one, no cared, one about cared about jo- um, Joe's metal band. No one cared. They cared about Fall Out Boy because that's the combination that works. And they but, can do all the other things, which is that's I that know type as of an fan. Artist. That's that type of fan, though. They only want that. Know, but, they only want the hit. They only want that thing, and that's but, it. But here's the truth I, don't, I only want Fall Out Boy. I don't want Andy's metal band. I don't want Joe playing with the singer of Every Time I Die. I don't want Pete with a goth, like, uh, auto-tune chick. I don't want... I mean, Patrick, I I think Patrick's just so talented. And being the voice, if you kind of like the voice, it's easier to like the voice doing a different song. But I... I would say that I like that uh, the combination that works for me that makes me feel good and that I enjoy the most is Fall Out Boy. Same with my my time. Like I don't really follow what Friends doing. I I don't. I mean, Gerard put out a solo record when I worked on his label, and I didn't really. I don't think I ever even listened to it. But I. But th- you know, Three Cheers is going to be one of my favorite records forever. But it also means more than just what the music is there because it, it brings me memories of where, where I was when I heard things or what I was doing with friends when I, you know, I was at this show or whatever. Like, it's not just the music isn't just the music, which is why I don't know if it's such a clear cut, like MTV, not MTV, hit, not hit. It, I think it's what connects with the fan and obviously so many of those fans connected with those songs because they were huge and there was something to connect to. And I don't know if I would discount the fandom just because the fan liked most popular thing because things are popular for a reason. They are easily liked by a lot of people. But it was also force fed. I mean, that time there wasn't as many, there aren't, there were, there weren't as many, uh, Gate, were the, sorry, there, there were very few gatekeepers. It wasn't like we had YouTube to no. watch. Or, I mean, MySpace was still there, but I, I think there wasn't My- as many gatekeepers. I think you, you were force-fed and people had Fuse. People had Stevens Untitled Rock Show. That was a huge – I know for, for Equal Vision when I was there, that was all we had to do was advertise on that show and our pre-orders would go through the roof. Oh, yeah. I mean, we how many – like AP and Equal Vision – we're in, I mean, but we always we always scratched each other's backs. Like it was, you just did it. There were limited resources, and you always had to make like ten dollars out of fifty cents. Yeah. You know, there was never any money. You always had to be scrappy. People, I don't think, are as scrappy as they once were because people just like 
there's a lot of money to be thrown in different directions. And I don't know if it's, I, I don't consider it force feeding because I think there had to be a hunger there to begin with. Like no one was holding people down. Like you could always change the channel, right? Like no one's forced to, I mean, to, for radio listeners, maybe like if you, all you're clicking all the stations, like that's just like today I click on kiss FM or K rock or 98.7, which is like the alt rock station or 104.3, which is like the adult contemporary station. And they're all playing 21 pilots. How does that happen? How did 21 pilots become the luminaires? Cause that's essentially the exact same. A lot thing. of money from the label, a lot of money paying a lot of ads. <laughs> Paying a lot exactly, of the stations, but the, I get it. But I think but I think those bands were on all those stations. House. I mean, those bands were on all those stations. They were on the pop. They, they were, were the at the very, at the very, like at the biggest point. They were, but even that it was maybe five, maybe really three. Like it was my pen, Fall Out Boy, Paramore, maybe AFI here and there. Maybe Dash for Confession, confessional around uh, Spider Man, but other than that, like Taking Back Sunday was never on Kiss of That. You know, Yellow Card maybe, but those like I never took them seriously. But you can. I mean, that totally makes sense. I I, I guess right. I'm not. I guess I'm not arguing. I'm just more of being like it was because it was because it was so in everyone's face and on this radio right. and everywhere it it had a when it came back again there's a bigger pool of people but do you think that your sense of it the first time around is heightened because of the job you had and the environment you worked in and the people like what you did as a profession required you to be saturated in this environment like do you think that maybe you have a heightened sensitivity to it because it was seeping out of every pore of you during that time. Like even when it was before it was on MTV and all that stuff, you had probably been marinating it, marinating with that type of music, if not those exact bands for years. Right. Like definitely. It wasn't new to you. It wasn't new to you in 2006. It was new to you in 2002. So by the time the rest of the country and world caught up to it, we were probably like, oh, these songs still come on. I heard this four years ago at a basement show, you know? So there's, there's a little bit of a, it's, it's like an involuntary elitism. And I don't mean that as a, as a insult, but more because you were lucky to be there first. That's exactly it. You heard these things before anyone else did. So it took so long for it to get from you to the kid in Odessa, Texas, that by the time that happened, it was 2006. It was 2008. And it just didn't keep going. You know, like, after the Black Parade, like, the parade was over. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, the Black Parade... 
I actually, I I agree with you. I think me being in the scene and going to shows and, uh, you know, meeting those bands and and the early onset and seeing what sort of happened, I think I'm not, I'm not mad at the bands. I'm mad at the word taking this trip and still in 2016 connected to those years, not having a more rounded approach and at least someone mm-hmm. mentioning Sunny Day Real Estate maybe one more time for me. Or even even just even if it's Jimmy World one more time. Just the some way giving a little bit more context than if I tell my mom I do an emo blog and she says, Do you wear eyeliner? Like I'd like to not have that conversation. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, if your mom's still asking you. That, I'm just joking. My mom, my mom, my mom, my mom just says, <laughs> "No, my mom is like, do you want to go shopping?" That's all she says. She just wants to go shopping. <laughs> do you want to get a new hair straightener, Tom? No. I will oh, go. That you know. <laughs> no, no. That's that- I mean, it's it, look. I, being a girl in the scene, behind the scenes, was not easy. And when you had boys that were prettier than you, you know, on the cover of magazines, like. <laughs> it, it you know it kind of fucked with your head a little bit, and I think that's why I was very uh, quick to quit, if you will, because I'd rather beat them to the punch and put them in their place because then they knew I wasn't just a silly like groupie with a pen. Yep. But looking back on it now, I can't help but be a little bit more patient with how people get in, right? Like, what's the gateway? What's the gateway drug? What's the back door? What's the window? And for some, and whether it's you've got an older brother or you're really inquisitive or someone left a CD in your car or, like, whatever that, like, kismet way that you discovered the band that opened the world to you, I don't know if you can judge what that band is to people, you know, like it's always going to be so personal. And Oh, totally. If, it I mean, was free, if someone gets you know, into like the promise ring at a certain record or they get into a certain band at right. this record and that's what hit them. I get that. My thing, I guess is I think I have a more, I have a more association or affinity with people that want to pick something on Spotify or know where they're going in right. Amoeba records versus someone that says, Put on Pandora, and and I want this oh, station. I agree with you because there's a because Spotify is a deliberate listening experience. Pandora is a passive listening experience, and I think the passive that fan sums up your entire yeah that sums up your entire argument. Like the Pandora person just wants things to parade right in front of them, and they want us they want everything to sound like the things that they like. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's essentially what Pandora is. Spotify is just a really big library. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess you could... I've never... How ter- how bitty am I? Like, I have a Spotify subscription because I don't like the ads. I like my music with my music. But I don't know how... There's like a radio part of it. I don't know. I just have the same playlists and I listen to them over and over and over again. Or I'll listen to records and then do related artists, and then I'll be like, oh my god, I haven't listened to Mesa State in seven years. I'm going to listen to that now. It's Everything has an intention. You have, you have to listen, you have to be active in your listening experience. And 
that's why some people do not like Spotify. It's too much work. They'd rather just, I mean, my dad is Pandora. He just wants to, he wants something that sounds like Steely Dan and he's happy for three hours. Just set it and forget it. I would kill myself if I had to listen to Steely Dan for three hours. But I don't, like, if I want to listen to the same, like, if I wanted to listen to your mad, okay, terrible example because it's not emo, but it kind of is. The Hamilton soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I have listened to the Hamilton soundtrack, more specifically this one song called Wait For It, maybe on repeat by this time like 250 times. Not not joking. Like, I will listen to it for four. It's only a two and a half minute song. I will listen to it for four hours on a loop. Because I can, and I like it, and it makes me so happy. But that is like fanatic behavior, and that's what emo is all about. Fanaticism. Like, you had to be the most and the, the, like you had to know everything about these bands. And then that's sort of, I don't know. I just, it's, it's exactly what you're saying, but it's hard to like, who's to say that, I mean, Hamilton is not emo, but, <laughs> but like, maybe Hamilton is my show tune gateway. Maybe I'm really just a big Broadway drama geek. Which is totally fine. Because I haven't met Queenie Todd yet. Like, maybe the fantastic way. Like, but some people would be like, wow, if you're coming in through Hamilton, everybody loves Hamilton. You really should have come in through Spring Awakening or Rent or, you know, like the same could be said for almost any, uh, Form of entertainment, which is why that people I, care about. I mean, I started the site because of that. Because I hoped mm-hmm. that people that would come, no matter if they came from whatever band, realized that there was a beginning, a middle, right. and there's also a future. There are bands after you. Right. There are bands that are that are, have the same aesthetic and the same. You know, they're 19 and they're they're doing this. Yeah. Or they're, and I, I just my whole goal is to have people learn about those, and certain people do. And certain people don't. Yeah. There are kids younger than me that know more than me because of the internet. I they're scouring YouTube oh, yeah. more than me, or I'm sure you've met people like that. But then there's some people that you're like, wow, you just came here to listen to one thing, and you're going to move on and go listen to the Hamilton soundtrack, or go listen to yeah. something else, and that's well, it's really it. good. And I just hope that maybe <laughs> my my favorite thing that happens when I've done the DJ night the last five years is that I play something. And someone comes up and they said, hey, I loved that Coheed song, but what was after it? And I'm like, oh, right. that was the Menzingers or that was the Hotel. Right. And I'm like, they're like, that was really cool. And I'm like, great. Then it's like a, it's that, it's that thing where if I called you, Leslie, and was like, Leslie, you have to check out this band. Oh, my God, I saw them. You might take yeah. an extra second and do that. And I hope that those happens more. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think that you have to, it's like, not that those bands are vegetables, but you, like, everyone wants dessert all the time. Like, why would you eat vegetables if you could eat cake? Yeah, I'm really smart. What is the smartest person in the world? I can't believe you didn't have me on this podcast. Here now. I know. Well, I just think it was an oversight. Um, and I hope so. I'm going to just assume. 
There's it was only an there's only one person here, and uh, you know I know you're a one man shop. It's it is a it's a it is a one man operation, and I try not to be angry all the time. But then BuzzFeed comes out with something ridiculous, and I get angry again, and I have to be talked off the ledge. So that's usually what happens. I feel like I talked you. Da- I feel a little bit like I talked you down. Like you were real amped up at the beginning, you were kind of gunning, and now I feel a little bit like I might need to charge you a copay. You know maybe, what? Trevor like says the same something. thing to me. Trevor Kelly says the same thing. Um, who you who you co-wrote? Uh, I, everybody I hurts do. with. He usually says the same thing. He's like, I, I think I talked you off a ledge, um, which is fine. Yeah. Um, I, again, this is my place in the in the little lexicon of this. Yeah. Niche upon niches. Remember the past. Remember the future. It wasn't just four years. Um, that's kind of the, well, the, yeah. the mantra. But I, and and again, I might win some or lose some. And there's been amazing emails all over the world from people that have written and said, "Hey, I liked this band, and now I like this, or I've gotten into this band." And it's been really cool to kind of see. And the and I I do agree. Like alt press definitely. I think if Alt Press wasn't around, I think a lot of these bands wouldn't have had that that voice. Or you're right, having someone that knew who they were. Because when I sit down with a band, I don't start asking them, you know, you know, uh, where are they from, or you know, it, it's mm-hmm. like I already know everything. Let's get into it. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. What let's just get into it exactly. You, and you were kind of telling those stories, and I think it comes through in the books too. Um, you can read them and be like, so. okay, you guys were in it, and that is sort of a is I think the redeeming quality is that. I hope that if someone was into only certain types of bands and picked up Everybody Hurts, and I hope they got into something else because of it, or maybe mm-hmm. got into Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes because of it. Oh, that. absolutely. I think if, I mean, if I've learned anything, I've definitely softened over the years because I was a sassy pants lady back <laughs> in my youth. But I, I, what I really have softened with over the years is that I don't have to be right. And I don't need to convince the other person that my opinion is more than their opinion. And whereas maybe 10 years ago, I would get into these just belligerent, like head against the wall conversations about nothing important with people who felt like they were really important. And no, you had to see it my way. No, you had no. You're wrong. And I'm right. And music, like, it's not black and white. Like, there's so much gray, so much gray. And again, it's it's actually harder to be nice, and it's more challenging to write nice and to understand where people are coming from than to like write a scathing review of someone's record because odds are they had that review in their back pocket. They knew they were going to write something terrible. They just were waiting for the band. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's crazy. It just, uh, I, I kind of operate in a note, like a snark free zone these days because I just, I don't feel like my opinion is any better than anyone else's. And if someone wants to know what I think about something, I, I'll tell them or, yeah, it's great. I have this 
these children. I have literally, I have little book children. Not, you know, those are my children mm-hmm. and those will be my legacy. And they will, you know, as long as there are words and emojis have not overtaken the planet, like they will exist on some flash drive somewhere when the world comes to an end. Um, and the trajectory of the books is they started out really kind of like biting and then insidery and then inclusive. And I just want to be inclusive. Like I just, there's so much terrible stuff going on in the world and not to make this sound trivial or trite or any other keywords that would fit in here. But if, if emo makes people happy and if, if that emo is a promise ring song or if that emo is a newfound glory song or if that emo is, uh, I mean, what's the band with the, I don't know. I mean, it could be somebody, the worst emo band you've ever heard of. Like if that makes somebody happy, like, oh man, I support your choices. Go for it. There's so much other terrible shit you can be listening to. <laughs> like if this is the worst you get into then you've really, like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. I'm not okay with it, but I I, I will help them uh, learn uh, something else after they listen to that song. Well, you're, yeah, see, you're the elder. You're the elders. <laughs> they have to respect their elders, and they need to show you their respect, and then you'll be like, come with me in the forest, and I'll show you all this great music. Leslie, thanks for doing it. this. How, how, oh, my how, God. How much fun so was excited. this? How much fun was this? So much fun. Arna? So we're going to do this every Monday. Arna You're going to call me. I'm going to get a conference room. It's going to be so much fun. And I'm afraid to tell her secrets that I know. Painting without colors tends to make it better. Bleaches out the world. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com